0: So we've been moving through the book of 2 Corinthians, and we're going to pick up this morning in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. So if you'll turn with me there, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, I'm going to start reading in chapter 3, verse 15. Paul says, But to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, Beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced the things hidden because of shame, not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God, but by the manifestation of truth, committing ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving, so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus is Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts, to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not of ourselves. We are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not despairing, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our body. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death works in us, but life in you. Having the same spirit of faith, according to that which is written, I believed, therefore I spoke, we also believe, and therefore we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will present us with you. For all things are for your sake, so that grace, which is spreading to more and more people, may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. But though the outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory, far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Let's pray. Um, Father, we've got one prayer this morning, and we sang it a few minutes ago. Um, Come, Jesus, come. We need to see you this morning. We need to behold you truly, and we need the light of your glory to penetrate our hearts. So Father, I'm just asking as we look into these verses that Paul writes to the church at Corinth that um, you would take the words there and your spirit would translate them into our world. Um, He would drop them into our lives and into our hearts and we would be encouraged not to lose heart but to press forward into the mission of Jesus. God, we love you so much and we are so grateful for Jesus. Um, It's in his name that we pray this morning. Amen. So has anybody ever wanted to just give up? Have you ever like, had that experience like, I'm done, it's over, I'm going to throw in the towel, and I don't really care if I get the towel back, Like it's just over, um, I'm, 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 I'm done. Um, I remember having a very specific experience my freshman year. I came to UGA, and I jumped into everything I could get my hands on. I um, was in the honors program. I started an organization. I was on committees for three large organizations. I helped start another thing in the Center for Leadership and Service, and that was on top of classes, trying to find a church, and going to three freshman ministries every week. Um, and I remember doing all of that in this one particular day. I think it was in March of my freshman year. Um, I was walking through Tate, and I was down by, like, the parking deck on that corner where New Bolton is, and I called my mom because I just had it. And I think I said... Mom, I'm done and I'm coming home because there's no way any of this can all get done and it's, it's terrifying me and I'm overwhelmed and it's just over and I'm done and I quit and I'm done with school and I'm coming home. And she said, that's nice. Call me back in 30 minutes when you've calmed down. <laughs> um, but I, I think that emotion that I, I, I can't do this, I, I can't make it, we're not going to get through this is common to all of us um, for a lot of different reasons. Um, what we're going to see... This morning is that Paul and his companions had two big reasons for losing heart. Um, But he says twice, if you notice at the beginning and at the end of chapter four, we, the people of God, do not lose heart. So here's two reasons. We're going to put them out there, then we're going to explore them. Um, The first reason is that ministry is really hard. Um, Telling people about Jesus, trying to do the work of Jesus is in itself very difficult. And the second is that in our lives we are afflicted, that there is stuff that happens to us, maybe that we cause, maybe that other people cause, that results in pain and suffering in our lives. And in the middle of all of that, sometimes we just feel like giving up. But the people of God do not lose heart. I just want to put that in front of us from the very beginning, because we're going to dive into some depths this morning about affliction and we're gonna shoot up to the heights of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ and the whole time I just need you to to hold on in your heart if you've trusted in Jesus that we the people of God do not lose heart. Just from the beginning, if you're not part of the people of God, if you've not trusted in Jesus, I can't say that about you and, and I want to be able to say that about you because life is is tough and it's crushing and it's heavy um, and you're not gonna make it. On your own. So, if you're not part of the people of God this morning, um, I pray that you would consider that and, and think about how you're going to navigate the trials of life without Jesus. So, um, let's dig in. Paul says, therefore, since we have this ministry, what, what ministry do you have, Paul? If we look back in chapter 3, it's the ministry of the Spirit, the ministry of righteousness, the ministry of life, the, the responsibility to take the good news about Jesus to people everywhere. He says, we have this ministry. God has entrusted the ministry to us. And newsflash, God doesn't pick bad stewards to give his ministry to. So if you have the ministry of God, God has plans for you to work and execute his ministry. He says, we have this ministry And as we've received mercy, so God has not just given you something to do. He's also demonstrated mercy to you over and over and over again, proving that he's going to sustain you through the rest of your life. And so if you have the ministry and you've received the mercy of God, then you're probably not going to lose heart. You may feel like losing heart, but we're not going to lose heart. And that's what Paul is trying to, to get into here. He says, yeah, the ministry is hard. And, and for Paul, it was very hard. We saw last week that um, where we started reading in verse 15, whenever Moses is read around the Jews at his point in time, a veil lie, was over their heart and they couldn't understand it. The person had to turn to the Lord and the Lord had to take the veil away for them to be able to understand the things that they were preaching about Jesus. And this was the exact case for Paul. If you've been around church for a while, you've, you know his story that he was he was the best Jew of all the Jews and he like knew the, f- the first five books of the Old Testament probably by heart. He'd been waiting for the Messiah and the Messiah, Jesus, shows up on the scene and he says, that's not him. We're going to kill him and we're going to kill his people and I'm going to go find all of them and wipe them out because he is not from God. A veil lied over, lied over Paul's heart and we're going to get to what happens in a minute. But um, ministry is hard because people are blinded to the truth about Jesus. And so Paul wants to explain why that happens and how all of that works because some people, it seems, are saying that's your fault, Paul. People aren't getting it because you're doing some crafty things or some tricky things or some underhanded stuff. And he's like, hold on, guys. That, that is not the case. He said instead of losing heart at the, at the difficulty of the ministry, here's what I've chosen to do. Renounced disgraceful underhanded ways. Or your translation may say that the things that are hidden because of shame, there are people who are proclaiming truth in very shameful ways, such, so much shame that Paul wouldn't even name them here. He says, that's not us. We're not doing that. He says, we refuse to practice cunning. We're not trying to trick anybody into believing something that we're kind of trying to peddle for whatever. And we're not tampering with God's word. No, he says, by the manifestation of truth or by the open statement of truth, we would commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Basically, he's saying this, I am so confident that I am preaching the right thing, that I am saying the truth and I'm not in it for me, that I would say, you go to God and tell him that I told you to come to him and ask if I was doing it right. He said, I would commend myself. I'd say, I'm doing great in the sight of God so that you would know that I'm preaching the right thing. He says, yeah, ministry is hard, but we're doing it right. And if ministry is not hard, you may need to question whether you're doing it properly according to the way that God would have us carry the truth about Jesus to people. He says we're we're doing it right. We're trying to preach an open statement of the word. And verse 3, if the gospel's veiled, even if it's veiled after we've done all of that, here's why. If our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. It is veiled to those who are perishing. And so I want... I want you to get this this morning, church, that a person's posture towards the gospel, a person's opinion of Jesus, a person's spiritual state determines what they can understand and believe about Jesus. So someone who is lost can't comprehend the truth about God because they're perishing. Paul says, so let me tell you why that's the case. Because in those people's case, for the ones who are perishing in the God of this world, that's Satan. The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbeliever. So if you've ever had trouble talking with someone about Jesus or you're trying to like share the gospel and somebody's just not getting it, well, there's a good reason. And that's because Satan is doing everything he can to blind their minds and keep them from seeing Jesus. No wonder Paul says in Ephesians that our battle is not against flesh and blood. You can't twist someone's arm into unblinding their own minds. Satan is doing everything he can to prevent people from seeing, as he says at the verse four, the light of the gospel the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. And Satan does a lot of very tricky and crafty things to make that happen. One way that he does it is he he prevents people who are of light from interacting with people who are in darkness. Um, He hides people in darkness and he actively fights against people trying to bring the light to keep them out of the dark places of the world. And that's why we have to engage spiritually first to pray that God would send people into those dark places because in ourselves we're not going to overcome Satan's power to fight against us getting into the dark places because he doesn't want the dark places to come to life. So Satan does that, he keeps the light away from the darkness, but um, he also works in the people who are sinful, people who are lost, people who are perishing, to to bring their eyes down and focus on themselves, to consume them with sin and what they want to be part of and things that they think are great, but are really direct rebellion against God. And what happens is, is, as their eyes fall down to look at them themselves, they they get consumed and they forget that maybe there's something else. And so their minds become blinded. And we saw last week that not only is the mind blind, but the heart is hard. And as you consumed with yourself and what you want and, and living the way that I want to live and I don't care, I'm not going to listen to what anybody else has to tell me, as you sin and sin and sin, your heart is hardened, your mind is blinded, and a veil lies over the truth of Jesus. And if you think we can overcome that by sheer force of will or sheer language that we speak to people about the truth of Jesus, you are sorely mistaken because our battle is not against flesh and blood, it's against powers, it's against principalities, it's against the rulers of this world. And they are... Satan is doing everything he can to keep as many people as he can in the darkness of sin and death because he hates God. He's trying to keep people from seeing the light that comes from the good news about the glory of Jesus. Jesus is glorious. He is beautiful and powerful and full of mercy and grace and love and forgiveness for all people if we will trust in him. And the, the good news is that he came into our world made like you and me, engaged in the, the sinful world without sinning perfectly. And then he died in our place and God punished him for our sin and he died and came back to life and is now offering forgiveness for everyone. And that's the good news about the glory, the magnificence of Jesus, the Messiah. And that good news shines light into people's lives and into our world and gives us hope. Paul says here, oh, and by the way, Jesus is the very image of God. So if you've seen Jesus, you've seen God. Hebrews tells us that Jesus is the exact manifestation of the character of God. And so if you've ever wondered what God is like, take a look at Jesus on the cross. Take a look at Jesus walking around with the disciples. Take a look at Jesus at the right hand of God, atoning for your sins and making intercession for you. That is is the most clear picture that you're ever going to get of who God is. And Satan doesn't want anybody to see that. So Paul says, we're not going to preach ourselves. Like, how, how foolish is that? If the, the God of this world is blinding people's minds and hardening their hearts and putting a veil over the gospel, how would me, Cody, or him, Paul, how would us talking about our good deeds ever do anything to change that? It, it, it can't. It says, the only message we're bringing is Christ Jesus and Christ Jesus as Lord And Paul's saying, this isn't just Jesus, some man from Nazareth, even though he was. This isn't just Jesus, the Christ, the promised one that God has sent. But this is Jesus Christ, the promised one, the Messiah, who is God himself, stepped into your world, into your life, to make you who God always wanted you to be, to break the power of sin and death in your life and bring you into eternal life and light forever. It says, we don't preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus is Lord and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. If if I could preach for an hour on the phrase, for Jesus' sake, I would would do it in a heartbeat because this is the foundational motivation for everything we do. Well, it's for Jesus. Jesus asked me to. Jesus wants this. Jesus is guiding me there. I feel burdened to take care of this as as part of Jesus' family. We're doing it for Jesus' sake, but... I love that Paul says we are your bondservants. He's talking to the church at Corinth saying, we're preaching Jesus so that you would have life. (laughs) That's that's what I want more than anything is for people in the world to come to life forever in Jesus and, and why. Well, Paul says in verse six, God, the God who said light should shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts, has shown in my heart. This is Paul's story that he was a Jew of the Jews. He was like studying under the top guy in Judaism and he was going to become the guy. And we talked about him persecuting the Christians and his heart was darkened and his heart was hardened and his eyes were blinded and a veil light over the gospel. And then Jesus shone into his life and everything changed. He came to life for the first time in Jesus and he trusted him and he believed him and he started following him and he went on to write this book and like 80% of the New Testament and be one of the most powerful forces for the good of the kingdom of God in the world. This is our story if you've trusted in Jesus. The, the story isn't, well, I like did a thing and I went to church and like somebody said something cool and I was like, oh, huh, that's interesting. I guess I'll probably believe da-da-da. No, I was lost entrapped in brokenness and darkness and then something happened and I saw God and I saw Jesus and I said, I I, want to trust you. I I believe you. I see that you died for me and I I put my faith in that and I I trust that you're going to save me from this darkness, from this sin, from this death. This is our story and quite literally this was Paul's story. If you remember how it went down in Acts chapter 9, Paul is literally on his way to a city called Damascus to kill Christians, and he's riding a donkey down the road, and Acts chapter 9 verse 3 says this, and as he was traveling, it happened that he was approaching Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground, and he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? In an instant, he realized that light from heaven that knocked him to the ground wasn't just some, like, airplane flying over, shining a bright light, that it was God himself, and he said, who are you? And the response, it says, and he said, the, the voice from the light said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Get up, enter the city, and it will be told to you what you must do. And then it's gone. Jesus didn't hang around to explain all the theology of how he was God and blah, blah, blah. He just said, I'm God. And Paul went, oh, yeah, you are. (laughs) I I think I was probably wrong. I think I've been in sin this whole time. My heart has been hard. My eyes have been blind. And I couldn't see it. But now you literally showed up and shined the light of yourself onto me. And I I think I'm, I'm, I'm yours now. I trust you. I believe you. I want to follow you. The story goes on to say that Paul gets up, and none of his companions had heard that, but um, his eyes were open, but he couldn't see. He was blind. God physically represents in him what had been happening spiritually for years. He goes into the city, and God sends a guy named Ananias to come and meet with him, which must have been terrifying for Ananias, the the Christian killers here. Um, And he goes and he says, Paul, God has sent me... um, Essentially, to set you free. And he, he talks to him for a little bit, and it says the scales fell off of Paul's eyes, and he could see, and his name was changed. And then he goes on to do all the things we talked about and save tons of people by the power of God. He says, It is the power of the God who spoke into the darkness of nothing at the beginning of creation that has shined into my heart. And here's what it's done it has given me, he says, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Well, how are we going to know the glory of God and how is that going to produce light in us? We're going to see the face of Jesus. Maybe not physically like it happened to Paul, but we're going to see Jesus in our, in our hearts and we're going to esteem him for who he truly is and we're going to fall in love with him and we're going to want to serve him and give him our lives and be rescued from sin and rescued from death. And so when we're praying for people to get in the family of God, to be saved and rescued and restored to everything that God wants them, we're not praying that God somehow would they just stumble onto a thing. We're saying, God, shine light into this person's life Show them Jesus and pray that knowledge would come into their, their blinded minds so that they would comprehend you and that they would trust in you. We need the light of the glory of God to shine into our lives and not just our lives um, for salvation, but for every moment. Because um, ministry is hard. <laughs> Satan is doing everything he can to keep people away from the light of the glory of God. And if we're going to not lose heart, we've got to be connected to the light of the glory of God all the time. One point before we move on, um, it says that God has shown in our hearts. In verse 18 of chapter 3, we saw that we all with unveiled faces are beholding as in a mirror the glory of God. And then in verse 7, we're going to read here, it says, we have this treasure in earth and vessels. So what happens when you trust in Jesus is that not only has the light of God shone into your heart, um, it has built up light inside of you. And here's why. If you remember in John chapter 1, John's trying to explain how the, the beginning happened and how Jesus came. And it said, in the beginning was the word, and the word Jesus was with God, and the word was God. We just saw that. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing was made that was made. Spoke light into the darkness, yeah, with that. Um, And here's the key. In him, in Jesus, was life. Not, Not a kind of life, not he was alive. Life itself resided, resides in Jesus, and his life is the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not comprehend it, or the darkness does not overcome it. Then it says, John came to testify to the light so that all men may believe through him. This is the true light coming into the world. And when it does, it enlightens every man. And so when the light of God shines into your heart and you believe in Jesus, God puts his very life inside of you. And the life of Jesus that now is in you, that you're beholding in a mirror, when you're looking at the mirror, you're looking at yourself. When God puts a treasure in your earthen vessel, it's, it's you, it's in you. The life of Jesus is in me I don't really get how all that works, but the life of Jesus is in me and his life in me is the light that is going to all men and that enlightens all men. So yeah, the ministry's hard. Sometimes I just want to give up and walk away, but the people of God do not lose heart. Verse 7, Paul says, this treasure we have, the, the light of the glory of God, the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus, it's the treasure, and we have it. And are you ready for where God put it? Drum roll, please. Jars of clay, earthen vessels. Okay, God, did you not have a better place to like situate the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus? Um, clay pots are not very valuable. I'm not saying you're not very valuable, but I'm just saying if we see the glory of God and then we see our broken, sinful flesh, my, my earthen vessel here, my, my mental faculties, my, my frail body, even at the age of 24, it is not anything to be proud of. I think the problem, I think my problem is that I start thinking my earthen vessel is a little more like a golden pot something to be adored and and appreciated and thought about and put on display. And um, Paul just needed to remind me and I think probably remind himself that uh, it, it is not his power that is doing anything. God's taken the light of the glory of God and put it in an earthen broken vessel for a purpose. It's so that the surpassing greatness of power would be of God and not of men. Here's what that means. It means that anything good that comes out of your life, you can't claim. Because at the end of the day, you're a, you're a clay pot. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever like done like, a game time prayer, like, God, I'm going into this test, and I don't really know if I study, but like please help. And I'm get, I get that I'm a clay pot right now, and I can't do whatever. <laughs> um, anything good that comes out of your life is of God. And Paul's going to talk about that here in a minute. Um, But he goes on to talk about affliction. And I want us to talk about affliction for a few minutes this morning because a lot of times we want to give up because crap happens to us. Crap happens in the world. And when that happens, we get really, it becomes very apparent that we're frail. We're fragile. We are just little clay pots that could break at any moment. I want you to hear what Paul says here. He says, we are afflicted in every way, perplexed, persecuted, struck down. We are always carrying about in our body the dying of Jesus. We who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake. Death is at work in us. There's a lot of younger people in this room and I'm one of them. And so you may not like totally resonate with all of that, but um, go ask some of our older people in the room and they will tell you it feels like physically sometimes I'm just carrying around death and, and I, I, it's heavy and, and I feel how fragile and frail my, my, my pot is. Paul says that he and his companions are afflicted in every way and for them that was very physical in a lot of respects. If you look back in chapter one, he says, I don't want you to be unaware, brothers, about the affliction we received in Asia. I'm talking about being persecuted and if you read in other places in his writings, he talks about being beaten um, a lot of times. He talks about being imprisoned. He talks about being shipwrecked. He was stoned. People came after him and hated him. His, his physical life was afflicted and endangered, and he suffered pain because physically things were happening to him. people were persecuting him there 's also some emotional affliction because he was uh, he, he was in anguish about the, the churches that he had planted and the false teachers coming in and trying to deceive people and so there 's some emotional anguish there 's also some spiritual anguish for that for that same reason and um, I don't know, I I guess I've just seen in the church that very often, we kind of glance over our afflictions and kind of move past them really quickly because they're not pretty and they make us look really clay pot-ish. And we don't like talking about them because they're hard and heavy, but um, we just need to be honest with one another that affliction is a thing and it is a very real thing for almost every person, I would say every person in this room. Maybe your affliction is caused by somebody else. Maybe your affliction is what someone did to you, what they didn't give to you. Maybe, um, I mean, my, my story is that my freshman year of college, we found out my dad had been having an affair for a long time. And so for 15 years of my life, there's affliction because my dad didn't. Care about me or love me like he should, and he didn't care for our family. And I don't say that to make you pity me. I just say that there's real affliction because of what other people do to you that you have no control over. And so, talk about being afflicted in every way. Maybe you're afflicted because of something you have done. Maybe there's some sin that you got wrapped up in and you have submitted to it, and there are consequences that you're dealing with, and you are suffering and in pain because of the affliction that you have brought on yourself. Maybe you're afflicted because the world is broken and there's sin in the world and maybe you're sick. Maybe you've lost kids. Maybe you've lost family members to cancer. Maybe there's some affliction because just the world is broken and not as it should be. And you feel afflicted and you just want to give up and walk away and not come back because it doesn't make sense. You don't know what to do with it. And maybe you're afflicted because people are persecuting you. Maybe you're related to one of the Coptic Christians that had their heads cut off and posted on YouTube a few weeks ago. And you're afflicted in in every single way. See, the power of our afflictions is that they make us realize how frail and weak and clay pot-ish we are. And they... Start allowing the, the glory of God to shine through. I don't want to make light of them. They are real and they are heavy and they, they matter. But Paul says in verse 17, they're, they're momentary light afflictions. And we're going to get to that idea in a second. Um, Paul, says, Paul says this, and I would submit this idea to you that maybe it's in our brokenness as clay pots that the light of the glory of God is most Easily able and most powerfully able to shine through. Because if you've ever been around someone who loves Jesus and is dying of cancer, it's really evident that they love Jesus. If you've ever been around someone who's had their house burned down or have everything they they have stolen and they love Jesus, it is really evident that they love Jesus. So maybe, just maybe it's in our brokenness that creates the atmosphere for the glory of God to shine forth most clearly. When I when I read through that, when Paul's talking about his afflictions, I kind of skipped over some stuff. Um, and I did that intentionally, so don't, don't crucify me. Um, he says, we are afflicted in every way, but we are not crushed. We are not crushed, and that's the truth. If you are with Jesus, if you like have the hope of Jesus, no matter what happens to you, you are not yet crushed, so you can't come back. Because nothing is impossible for God. Yeah, we're perplexed. We're we're confused. We don't understand why this is happening. We don't understand why so-and-so is being such a doofus and running off and doing stupid things. We don't understand why they're not listening to us. I don't understand why I'm fighting against myself to sin, not sin, follow Jesus and like forget about it. I don't get that. I'm perplexed, but I'm not yet driven to despair. Despair. Maybe your affliction's emotional. Um, There's some kind of emotional malady that you've got you've to face but you're not yet crushed you are not yet despairing maybe you're persecuted maybe they came and cut off the head of your, your brother but God has not forgotten you maybe you've been struck down but you have not yet been destroyed not yet been destroyed it says we always feel like we're car- carrying around in our body the dying of Jesus and that's for a very specific reason all the afflictions that I talked about were very much uh, sin-related or a result of someone's sin and the brokenness in the world. But the reality is that if Jesus has saved you, you are now alive in your spirit, but your flesh is still full of sin. I could go to countless passages and show that to you. And I don't have time this morning, but um, the reality is, and Paul makes this very clear in uh, Romans chapter 7, he says, there's this war going on inside of me. And me, the real, alive, spiritual, with Jesus, me, has things that I want to do, but I'm not doing them. So there's things I don't want to do, and those are the things that I am doing. There's a war going on between me and me, and I, 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 don't, I don't get it. He says, my, my spirit is willing to follow God. The real me is willing, but my flesh is weak because it's full of sin and decaying and dying and it's selfish and who's going to save me from this body of death? If you've been with Jesus for any amount of time, I think you say I felt that. I felt that war within me. Jesus says in Luke 9, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself. He's got to take up his cross and die daily and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake, he will save it. We carry around the dying of Jesus in our bodies because our bodies need to die. Not not this, it's going to go, but the, the fleshly part of me, the sinful part of me has got to get repressed. And it's got to get killed. It's got to get starved. I've got to wage war against that so that the life of Jesus can be manifested in my body. I've got to let the earthen pot crack some. I've got to let it feel the stress and the weight of, of the brokenness of the world and my decisions and other people's stuff against me and my emotional junk. I've got to let that happen, not because I like it, not because it's good, and not because God gave it to me. I want to be very clear about that. These afflictions that are of sin are not from God. God did not put someone in your life to abuse you to help you see the glory of God better. He didn't need to do that. He's pretty glorious on his own. But he's using the afflictions to produce something in you. We who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death works in us, but life in you. Let me just prove to you that I'm not making this up. If you Remember the story of Gideon. Gideon was a judge of Israel. And the story of the judges is that Israel would follow God and things would go well and they'd disobey God and God would send a people into them, into their country to oppress them and persecute them and they'd suffer because of their sin. Um, And so this happened uh, and God would raise up people to deliver them and one of those people was Gideon. And in Judges chapter 7, um, God is raising up Gideon to go and fight the Midianites who were countless says they, they and their camels were as numerous, nobody could count, and they came in like a swarm, and they were just depressing Israel. And so God comes to Gideon and says, you're going to be the guy that goes and frees Israel this time from all of those guys. And Gideon's like, huh, that's interesting, that's going to be hard. There's a lot of them, I don't know how I'm going to do it. Um, so lots of cool stuff, going to skip lots of the story, but basically... Um, God has Gideon gather people together and it starts at 32,000. Israel's scattered across the country. They're hiding in hills and mountains and Gideon sends out word. God is for us. God is with us. We're going to go take down the Midianites. And so 32,000 of them come together and Gideon's like, okay, like maybe it'll be a little difficult, but 32,000 we may be able to take, to take them on. And God says, hmm, 32,000's nice, but way too many. And Gideon's like, okay, not tracking with you, God. And so God says, tell them that if they're afraid, They should leave. Canaan says, okay, I don't know where you're going with this, but here you go. Um, if you're afraid, leave. And 22,000 of the 32,000, peace out. Now he's got 10,000 to go against this army. And if you thought maybe he could do it with 32,000, 10,000 is now like, eh, pretty shaky. And then God says, 10,000, that's a pretty good number, but uh, no again. Um, take them down to the river, drink. And if they drink this way, send them home. If they drink this way, keep them. And 300 of them drank this way that God says, keep and so it's Gideon and his 300 companions, and they're looking at each other, saying, We're going to do what? Mm-hmm. Like, there is no possible way this can happen. And God tells Gideon, He says, I'm, I'm, I'm whittling your army so that you don't take credit for this, dude. So that the surpassing greatness of power would not be of you, but of me. And so he sends Gideon into the camp. Gideon gets this, someone in the camp gets a vision, and Gideon's like, I think we're going to win. This is awesome. God's with us. And he goes back and he tells everyone the plan, and here's the plan. Judges chapter 7, starting in verse 15-ish. He comes back and he says, Arise, for the Lord has given the camp of Midian into your hands. And then he divided the men, the 300 men, into three companies. And he put trumpets and empty pitchers into the hands of all of them with torches inside the pitcher. So I don't exactly know how that worked, but they've got a trumpet, a a pitcher, and a torch somehow in the thing they're carrying. Um, Where are you going to put your sword, dude? That's what it says. Um, And he said to them, Look at me and do likewise. And behold, when I come to the outskirts of the camp, do as I do. When I and all who are with me blow the trumpet, then you also blow the trumpet all around the camp and say, For the Lord and for Gideon. So Gideon and the hundred men who were with him, so not 300, but 100, and they're spread about, um, with him came to the outskirts of the camp at the beginning of the middle of the watch, and they, just as they'd posted watch, and they blew their trumpets and smashed the pitchers that were in their hand. And when And when the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the pitchers, they held the torches in their left hand and the trumpets in their right hands for blowing, obviously. Um, And they cried a sword for the Lord and a sword for Gideon. And each stood in his place around the camp, and they didn't move. And all the army ran. They fled, and they were crying out as they fled. And they blew the 300 trumpets. The Lord set the sword of one against the other, even throughout the whole army. And the army fled as far as these places that I'm not going to try to pronounce. Um, And they win. They win, having 300 people, trumpets, pitchers, and torches. And you want to know the most unimportant part of the story? The pitchers, the clay pots that were smashed on the ground so that the light could break forth and the people would be terrified and God would put fear in their hearts. You and I are the clay pitchers. We're really only good when we're broken. The stronger you try to be, the less the glory of the Lord is going to be able to shine out of your life. But we're not alone. Yeah, you may be afflicted. And Sorry, I said that flippantly. Yes, you may be afflicted. You're not crushed. Perplexed, not despairing, persecuted, not forsaken, struck down, not destroyed. And then he says in verse 13, we have the same spirit of faith that spoke in the Old Testament, I believe and therefore I speak. The the spirit of God who was with them is with and in us. And so we believe and we speak. And we know this, that he who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will raise us also with Jesus and will present us with you. So even if you are afflicted and crushed, Even if you are perplexed and despairing, persecuted and forsaken, struck down and destroyed, at the end of the day, when you are dead and gone, God is going to raise you back to life with Jesus if you've trusted in him. So hold on to hope. We do not lose heart. All things are for your sakes, Paul says. We're doing everything we can possibly think of and the spirit of God can inspire in us to bring the good news about Jesus' life and death and burial and resurrection to you. So that grace, the good grace of God would spread to more and more people and may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. Therefore, we're not going to lose heart. Yeah, the ministry is really hard. Yeah, we're afflicted in every way. But we're not crushed. We've got the spirit of God we do not lose heart. Though our outer man man is decaying, though it's wasting away physically, spiritually, in the sense of sin, putting away ourself, though that outer man is decaying, the inner man is being renewed every single day. Then he says this, he says, momentary light affliction is producing for us something. And I don't know, when I read those words, part of me goes, but Paul, you just don't get what's happening. I'm, I'm in the middle of this thing, and it is not momentary, and it is not light, and it is definitely an affliction. So you got that one right, but I, 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 I don't know how you can say that, Paul. Well, Paul would say we're, we're not just looking at your situation. Um, we're making a comparison here. Paul says in Romans 8, he says, I I consider that the sufferings of this present world are not worthy to be compared to the glory that is to be revealed to us. So what he's saying is that when when you realize what's coming, when you really behold Jesus and see everything that he is and everything that he did, you're going to realize that as heavy and as big and as powerful as your present afflictions are, they're really just light and momentary in comparison. So I want to make... A comparison in a minute. Um, this minute. Um, a comparison to Jesus' afflictions. As I was reading through this and I was, I was studying what Paul was saying about himself. We are afflicted. We are we perplexed. We are persecuted. We are struck down. We are dying. I, I kept going back to the account of Jesus in Isaiah 53. Um, I just want to read some of that. For you, because when we consider the suffering and the affliction of Jesus, our suffering and our affliction is indeed light and momentary. So, surely our griefs Himself He bore, yet we esteemed Him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. He was pierced through for our transgressions, He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastising for our well being fell upon Him. And by his scourging, we are healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each one has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. He did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep that is silent before its shearers, he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And for this generation who considered that he was cut off from the land of the living for the transgression of my people to whom the stroke was due, His grave was assigned with wicked men, yet he was with a rich man in his death, because he had done no violence, nor is there any deceit in him. But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. If he would render himself as a guilt offering, he will see his offspring, and he will prolong his days, and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand, and as a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many. He will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will allot him a portion with the great, and he will divide the booty with the strong, because he poured out himself to death and was numbered with the transgressors. And yet, he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for transgressors. So, yeah, the affliction of Jesus may not have been longer than three hours, but for the first time in forever, when the Son of God hung on the cross, he was separated from his father. For the first time in forever, they did not have perfect unity and community. And for the first time in forever, Jesus himself experienced the crushing weight of sin. And I'm not just talking about a little bit of sin. The Bible says that God went and rounded up all of the sin of all people of all time. So all the sin forever was picked up and dropped on Jesus' shoulder. And it didn't just stop there. Jesus felt the weight of it and then God turned away and forsook him for the first time in forever. And then he turned and he punished Jesus for every sin. And Jesus died. Separated from God. Forsaken. Crushed. Destroyed. Three days in the grave. And on the third day, the Spirit of Jesus returns to life by the power of God, demonstrating that even though all the sin of all time forever was put on him and God judged it and crushed him with all of his weight, sin could not overcome the power and the love and the grace of God. Amen. And he did that so that we could have life. So yeah, your affliction's big and important and we need to talk about it. But come on, pick up your eyes and look at Jesus. The affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory. Far beyond all comparison. Weight of sin, weight of glory, far beyond all comparison. Comparison Somehow in the economy and working of God, he's he's at work, not causing these afflictions, not not putting sin in your life or in your path, but he's there, he's working. So don't think that because crap's happening and maybe you sinned or maybe somebody sinned against you, that God's absent, that he's forgotten you, that he's out of the picture and you've got to just hope and pray that maybe he's going to show up. No, God is near to you. He's near to the brokenhearted. He is right in the middle of it, Romans 8 says, that in all things, God works for good for you if you love him, if you're called according to his purpose, because he's in it working to make you more like Jesus. God can create light out of darkness, everything out of nothing. He can work in your situation, in your crappy junk that's happening in your life to make you like his son. And that's what he's doing if you've trusted him. Our light momentary afflictions are producing for us an eternal weight of glory. And I am so glad because the glory I've got in my life, the things that are cool about my little clay pot are not enough to sustain me for eternity. And so if you're not a Jesus person, I, I, I just beg you to consider Jesus. Because whatever you're planting your life on can't hold it up. The the, the weight of it, the glory of it, the power of it isn't going to be enough when you are afflicted, which you will be afflicted whether you're a Jesus person or not a Jesus person. You will be perplexed whether you're a Jesus person or not a Jesus person. And, And the Jesus people aren't any better at handling it. We just have the hope that's anchoring our soul and we fall broken and say, Jesus, please help me. And he does. So we don't lose heart ever. We may feel like losing heart because things are hard or or crap's happening, but we do not actually lose heart. And if you think you have, the end has not yet come. So here's the prescription. Here's what Paul says. If you feel like you're losing heart, here's what you need to do. We look not at the things that are seen, There's stuff in front of my face, there's situations, there's people, there's problems, there's my sin, there's my emotional stuff, there's people being beheaded in the world and I can see all of that and it's right here and it's making it really hard for me to see anything else. But Paul's saying we don't look at that. Whatever it takes, we do not look at that. We pick our eyes up and we look at the things that we can't see with our eyes, namely Jesus and his love and his glory and his grace. And his forgiveness and his power. And I could go on and on. Why? Because the things that we can see, we've got to remind ourselves they are just here for a moment. They're temporal. But the things we cannot see, those are the eternal things. They are things that are going to last forever. So to keep from losing heart, we've got to pick our eyes up. We've got to look at Jesus and Ask the spirit of God to shine the light of the glory of God into our hearts again. Cause maybe you've got it. Maybe you are with Jesus, but Satan's been doing a lot of work to try and like patch up the little clay pot and make you think that you're better than you actually are, which he still does even after you're with Jesus. And the light of the glory of God is now contained in your clay pot and you need to ask the Holy Spirit to break it forth. And that's going to take some work. That's going to hurt a lot. But here's the hope for you, that the spirit, the same spirit of faith that brought you to Jesus and literally plucked you out of darkness and death and planted you in the family of God, that same spirit is the one that is empowering you to believe in God today and to speak the truth about Jesus. So one way we do that here every week is we come to the table um, And it's really easy for me. I've been doing this for a long time. I I grew up in a church that this was every Sunday we came to the table and picked up a cup and picked up some bread and I ate it. And as a kid, I wanted to eat the whole thing. And it's just been, it's been a long time in my life. And so it's easy for me to come on Sunday and sing some songs that I'm not really thinking about and listen to some guy talk about the word of God that I feel like I know because I've known it for a long time. And then to pick it up, eat it, drink it, walk out the door. But Jesus put this in front of us so that Every week we would come and hold the broken, the bread, which symbolizes the broken body of Jesus and the cup, which symbolizes his blood that was just poured all over the place for the remission of sin. And we would remember that our afflictions are light and momentary, that Jesus's affliction was huge and permanent. And just because it was three hours doesn't mean that it wasn't the worst thing that anybody has ever endured in all of history. And we just simply say, thank you. God, I, I, I don't know what to say. I don't know how this happened. I don't really know why I'm here because I'm looking at myself in light of this, and I seem really broken and really made of clay and really not worth a whole lot. But here's what I, what I've got. Um, thank you for saving me. Please use me for your purpose, and, and also examines our heart and says, have I been trying to pretend that this pot is not exactly what it is? Say, I'm sorry. God, I'm sorry for sinning. I'm sorry for thinking that I'm better than I am. I'm sorry for trying to take your place in my life and doing things that just you hate because you made me and you saved me. And now I'm yours twice. And I, I just, I want my life to count for you. But there's this war going on. And those are all the things that you should think of when you pick this up. Not all of them every week, but When you pick up the bread and the cup, you should consider Jesus. And in doing so, we will not lose heart. And we're going to make it to the end no matter what happens. And so this morning, um, the table is open if you've trusted in Jesus. If you have recognized, like Paul did, that I, I was blind in my sin and in my death and I couldn't do anything to get out of it. And then I saw Jesus and I said, Jesus, save me, please. And he did. And I'm now with him. And there's life inside of me forever. If that's your story, the table's open to you. The Bible says that we're supposed to come and examine ourselves. And so if you've got to do some examining, pick it up, hold it in your hands for some time before you take it. I think we should all probably do that a little bit more than we do. Myself first. But the table's open. We're going to sing some songs and response to God, saying, God, thank you. We love you. Please come and be here in our midst. Um, but part of this process, I think, is uh, talking about our afflictions. Because when they get ignored, we forget how normal and broken we are. So if you need to grab somebody and say, hey, dude, I got some afflictions that I need to just, like, discuss. Maybe it's somebody else. Maybe it's you. Maybe it's emotions. Maybe it's whatever. Do that. Go to the back. Pray. Ask the Lord to give you strength in those afflictions. And more than anything, church, let's look at Jesus. Father, we love you. Not nearly enough, but we love you. Because you have redeemed our souls from the pit of emptiness and you have planted us in your family and given us life forever with you. God, most of us... um, Lord, if there are people here whose hearts are hard, whose minds are blind, whose eyes are veiled, um, God, I just hope they haven't heard any, I don't know, they haven't haven't heard me be against them, but they've heard that you are for them, that you sent Jesus to rescue and redeem them, and that he died so that they would be free and alive, and that it's Satan that's, that's twisting things and hiding things and keeping them from the light of the glory of God. And So, Father, I don't know how you do it. I don't know what happens, but I just beg this morning that Jesus would show up here and his face would shine with all of its glory and that people wouldn't just behold the glory of God, but that they would have the knowledge of the glory of Jesus imprinted in their hearts and in their minds and that they would come to life. God, for us that that do know you and are with you, we need that too, We need our eyes to be lifted up to see you for who you truly are because it is so easy for our sin and our pain and the junk in our lives to to hide you. So, um, Jesus, I just want to say thanks for enduring the cross, for taking the heaviest, most eternal affliction that could possibly exist so that we can have hope and life forever in you. Jesus, this is all for your sake. We love you. It's in your name I pray. Amen.